Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for another wonderful time in your presence. And we just praise you and we give you glory and honor. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to praise you and worship you. And we thank you for the opportunity to touch the hem of your garment. I pray, God, that you would meet the needs of each one that's here this morning. Touch our lives, our homes, and our families, especially today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to preach to you this morning on the subject, a new day. I'm still into the Easter season with this sermon. And I think it's um, an eye-opener if you follow closely. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51, some extraordinary things happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And I believe if you look at the verse word by word, you will see how it personally reflects into our life. It says, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Not too many people preach concerning this verse. They preach about the resurrection. They preach that Jesus rose again from the dead. But there are certain things that happened that day that have to be looked into, not only historically, spiritually, but personally as it reflects into our life. The veil. They said it took probably 200 priests to lift that veil. It weighed so many thousands of pounds. And that veil was mentioned in the book of Exodus, chapter 26, verse 33. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. In the Old Testament, the high priest would go into the holy of holies once a year and admonish God and reflect on the sins of the people. And the sacrifice that was made through the blood of bulls and goats and so on only covered the sins of people. It did not take it away. So the stain of shame and guilt and condemnation was always with those in the Old Testament. When the Bible says that the veil of the temple was rent in two, it meant that it was split. It was divided. And it was almost like God was saying the old versus the new. Because that veil had particular meaning. It separated the holy place from the most holy place by dividing the temple into two sections. The veil prevented the way into the presence of God. On the day that Christ was crucified, the veil was rent or split in two, which meant something phenomenal happened, which meant a way was made into the presence of God, not just for the high priest, but for all of those who accept and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a monumental moment that people did not understand that day. It was a monumental thud when that came crashing down into the temple. It was like thunder and lightning. It crashed, and they heard the sound of that crash. But they did not understand the significance 
of that veil being split in two. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 gives us the understanding. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Only the high priest could go into that holy, holy place. But now it says to us, Paul saying to the church, Hebrews 10, 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? Not by the blood of bulls or the blood of goats, but by the blood of Jesus, look at verse 20, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. It was because of his broken body on the cross. It was because of his shed blood. That blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven gives you and I direct access to God. Come on. Gives us direct access to God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is only one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. My confession goes to Christ. My sins are taken by Christ. I go to Him directly. And I can go into the Holy of Holies 24 hours a day if I prefer. I can go in and out with boldness. Not because of who I am or because of what I've done, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. When the Bible calls it a new and living way in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, it means to enjoy real life. It means to be active and to be blessed. It's the living water that comes into our being. To be full of vigor, to be strong, efficient, active, and powerful. God wants us to be that type of Christian. Life. We have life. We have the life of Christ. We have the resurrected power of God. We have the resurrected life of Christ in us, which separates us and makes us different from others who don't know Jesus. The tearing of the veil provided entrance into the Holy of Holies, that we may see, that we may feel and hear the voice of God. It provided, listen, opportunity for union with God. Opportunity. Opportunity to touch the hem of his garment. As in Mark chapter 5 with the lady with the issue of blood. Who was sick for 12 years and was none the better. But she had access to Christ. And she woke up one day after she spent all of her money. After she went to every physician in Jerusalem. And she heard a voice. That said go see my son. In Hallelujah Square somewhere. Maybe he's holding a tent revival. But if you touch the hem of his garment, woman, you will be healed by the power of Almighty God. That lady who lost all hope, that lady who was depressed and discouraged, that lady who gave her all of her money to the doctors, that lady who was none the better but grew worse, woke up that day with a new vision. She woke up that day with a living way in her soul. She woke up that day and said, if I touch but the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole by the power of God. That woman got up and got dressed and she went down to Hallelujah Square. And she pushed and she shoved and she pushed and she shoved. Because the Bible said there was a great multitude of people. But she was not going to be denied because Christ knew and lived for that woman. And she knew if she touched the hem of his garment, she would be touching the Son of God. She moved and she pressed. The Bible says she came behind.
the press, which means a multitude of people. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm the lady with the issue of blood. Excuse me. Excuse me. God has spoken to me. And God said, if I touch the hem of his son's garment, I shall be made whole. Glory. Come on. She pushed until she saw his figure. And with all might and all of her weakness, being sick of a blood disease for 12 years, she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. And all of a sudden, like thunder and like lightning, the virtue of Jesus went into her body like a bolt of lightning. Amen. Come on. And Jesus turned around and said, Who touched me? Who touched me? You see, this is the new and living way. This is going into the Holy of Holies. This is the place that Jesus purchased for us by the shed blood of Christ. And he turned and he said, Who touched me? Yes. The disciples looked and said, Master, there's multitudes of people. He said, No. You see, when you go into the Holy of Holies with boldness, and you go into the Holy of Holies with faith, God has to touch you. God has to do something for you. And when he turned around and said, Who touched me? She said, Lord, it is I. I touched you. He said, daughter, thou faith, thy faith has made thee whole. Listen, my friend, we have same access as the woman, praise God, in Mark chapter 5. We have the same opportunity. You see, when Jesus died on the cross and he broke that veil in two in that temple in Jerusalem, he gave us access, hallelujah, just like he gave access to every child of God in the New Testament. He gives us access this morning, hallelujah, to touch the hem of his garment and say, God, it is I. I come into your presence. That veil provides entrance for union, for relationship, for prayer, for the breaking of bread, and for fellowship with God. Only when that veil is rent in two can these things take place. But here's the tragedy in the Christian world today. Too many people are trying to reconstruct the veil and separate themselves from the deep things and the workings of God in their life. They reconstruct the veil. They have excuses. They have reasons. It's too hard. I can't do this. It's too much suffering. It's too many trials. It's too much tribulation. I thought I was going to have the good life, Pastor. You're going to have the good life, praise God. But he didn't say it's going to be without valleys and trials. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Every man of God, every woman of God in the Bible had to go through some things. But we still have access, hallelujah. Momentary or periodic excursions away from God are detrimental to our spiritual well-being. And we have to ask ourselves this question, why do we do that? Why do we plan excursions away from God? What's going on in our minds and in our heart and in our soul that causes us to withdraw from God and stay away from that holy of holy place that He purchased for us, that's special just for you? We have to ask ourselves those questions. Why do we take momentary excursions away from God and then indict God like it's His fault concerning what's going on in our life? When we need to take responsibility for who we are and where we are, and are we going into that holy presence to touch the hem of his garment? Do we wake up like the woman 
in Mark chapter 5 after 12 years of being sick? Do we wake up like that woman who got a revelation from God, a rhema from God, and said, guess what? It's over. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day that I touched the hem of his garment. Today is the day that I'm healed by the power of Almighty God. Today is the day. Yes, hallelujah. She woke up with vision, hope. She woke up saying, today I will come home different than when I left my house. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 52. and says the graves were opened. Listen. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto men. What? People glance over that verse. Came out of the graves. Who came out of the graves? Paul gave us revelation in the book of Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 6. Look what it says. After that, after what? After the resurrection, he, Jesus, was seen of above 500 brethren at once. What? Of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Do you know what that means? Not only was the veil rent in two in the synagogue and came down tons of power, tons of pounds, but the graves opened. <coughs> And 500 plus people who were dead started walking in the city of Jerusalem. And Martha, Uncle Herod, Uncle Ben, knocking on the door, hey, where'd you come from? I thought we married you 10 years ago. I thought we married you five weeks ago. I thought we buried you 20 years ago. Guess what? My God, something happened on the earth. Hallelujah. And something happened underneath the earth. And I want to tell you, it's Aunt, it's Uncle Seymour. It's Aunt Martha. My God, it's you. I see Grandma. I see my auntie. I see my mama. And God was saying, guess what? Not only did I rise from the dead, but 500 in the city of Jerusalem are walking around and freaking out people and saying, guess what, Roman government? I am alive. I am alive. I am alive. Hallelujah. Come on. I never hear anybody preach on that. That's unbelievable. And you know, the Bible said in those days that many of them lived for quite a while. And then some fell asleep peacefully once again to be put back in the grave. But to be resurrected on that great day of resurrection. Come on. I mean, I thought this was like, are you kidding, Lord? They appeared. Listen to what the word says. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 52, the Bible says, and they appeared unto many. I wonder if they knocked on the king's door. Say, remember me? I'm your uncle. I'm a follower. Remember me? I used to be one of your soldiers, but I dropped dead. But guess what? Two years ago. But guess what? I'm talking to you now, sir. Come on. <laughs> and I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord now. I would dare to say that some people died of a heart attack that day in Jerusalem. I said, I would dare to say that when some of those aunts and uncles and grandmas knocked on their door, I bet some of them dropped dead of a heart attack and said, my, I can't believe who I'm seeing here. This must be a mirage. This must be, what's going on here? 
they made themselves known. The word appeared means they manifested themselves through Christ, through the resurrection. They came into view. It's me. It's grandma. It's your mother. <laughs> what? You kidding? I know we buried you. I know I spoke at your eulogy. I know I was part of the service. <laughs> but it's you. Yeah, but see, that's our hope, my friend. Yes. We have a hope beyond the grave. Yes, Listen, when that veil was rent in two, it gave us an invitation from God for union with Him to receive His fellowship, His grace, His mercy, His wisdom, and His freedom. This new and living way invites us to union with God. Listen. Yes. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This was not written to the sinner. This was written to the church. Because the church had backslid. And John wrote, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The veil split in two, fold to the ground, gave us access to the Holy of Holies. And gave us an invitation to have union with God and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, behold, I stand at the door. This is God's responsibility, standing at the door. He abides at the door to appoint us, to bring us into covenant with him, to make an agreement with us. He desires to make an agreement with the church. He desires to make an agreement, praise God, with the children of God. And God is waiting at the door. Listen, he's waiting at the door this morning, even of this church, to establish a covenant with us, a further covenant, praise God, that says, I'm with you always, even until the end, God Almighty, amen. People forget that. And we allow the enemy to seduce our minds. We allow the enemy to delude us when we go through a great trial that he makes us think that God isn't there, that the covenant has been broken, that the veil has been reconstructed. No, it has not been. Come on, preach it. Hallelujah. You're being deceived mm, come on. and seduced by a spirit that would give you doubt concerning the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. You see, God is waiting at the door to establish the covenant with us continually. And he's been appointed by the Father, listen to what I'm going to tell you, to make a house call. God desires, like the old-fashioned doctors of years ago when I was growing up in Brooklyn, New York, Dr. Carl I. Cohn would come to my house open the trunk of his Cadillac and take out the black bag when I was sick and come to 1438 83rd Street, Brooklyn, New York and see him as Violet, my mother, and say, Violet, is Frederick sick? Yes, he is, doctor. He's in the back room. And doctor would come in with his black bag and he would have his potions in there and his medicine and all this stuff there to make me better. But I want to tell you, there's a doctor that was greater than Carl Icon. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's Dr. Jesus Christ. And that lady in the book of Mark chapter 5 met up with him personally. And praise God, so did you when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not changed. God has not changed. God is not dead. God is still alive. His resurrection power is still flowing through the church for those that desire to go into that holy of holies. Amen. Jesus stands at the door to continually establish our covenant with him. 
He said in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now notice what that verse says. Behold, I stand at what? At the door. There was only one door in the ark and when Noah built the boat. There's only one door that you can go through. There's not many ways to God. There's only one way to God. You listen to what I'm speaking to you about. That word door means a portal or an entrance. Let me tell you something, neighbor. It takes courage to walk through that door and open it. It takes courage. When he knocks on that door, it takes courage to open that door. Because he wants to speak to us. And sometimes we have blind spots that we don't want God to open up. We don't want God to open up a can of worms. We don't, God, we don't want God to start a spiritual world, world War III in our lives and in our soul, in our spirit, and in our family. But opening that door says this, I am willing to hear what you have to say, Lord. Come on. Let me tell you, it takes courage. When he knocks and stands at the door. And what does he say in Revelation 3.20? I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door. Are you willing? You see, Jesus said in John 10 and 9, I am the door. There's only one door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. What does that mean? Pasture means food. He shall not want the needful supplies for the true life that we live in Christ. It means growth and increase. God says, if you come through this door... I'll give you something greater than Kentucky bluegrass. I'll give you something to eat that's better than what the thoroughbreds in Kentucky eat. I'll give you the manna from heaven. I'll give you the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I'll give you the know-how. I will give you everything that you need to live a productive spiritual life on. on this side of the Jordan. You see, he stands at the door and he knocks. And you listen, a lot of people hear the knock, but they ignore it. A lot of churches hear the knock, but they ignore it. They don't want to hear it. A lot of pastors are hearing that knock, but they ignore it. Because they want to preach easy things, smooth things. They don't want to upset nobody. It might affect their offering. But we cannot compromise this covenant. We cannot compromise when we go into the Holy of Holies. We cannot compromise when Jesus knocks on that door and we decide to open it. Because he says, what does he say? If any man hear my voice, what does that mean? That we must be attentive to hear his voice. No other voices. Because my friend, there's a lot of voices that are talking in the world. There's a lot of prognosticators out there. There's a lot of people spouting a lot of things out there. But he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me and not another. Let me give you an example of a 12-year-old boy. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. 12 years old. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Verse 4. That the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and he said, Here am I, for thou callest me? 
And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and laid down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He didn't get that revelation in his heart yet. But it was coming right now. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. But verse 8 says, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be. If he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Twelve years old. Verse 10. And the Lord came and stood and called as other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. A 12-year-old boy in the Old Covenant, hearing the voice of God, if any man open that door and hear my voice, that's for today. That's for you. And that's for me. You see, that voice is very distinct. Because Revelation chapter 1 verse 15 says this, And his feet was like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Think of that for a moment. His voice, the sound of many waters. Where do people go to find peace and calm? They sit by a river with a fishing pole. They sit out on a lake in a boat. They stare into the water and hear the water flow downstream. See the ripples. That brings peace. His voice is the sound of many waters. Come on. Many waters. Think of that. What opportunity he gives us for fellowship. When he stands at the door and knocks, if any man hear, if any man open, if any man desires covenant day by day, not I got saved 10 years ago, not I had an experience with Jesus 20 years ago or five minutes ago, but God, what do you have for me today? What does it mean? If any man, open. Open the door. That's our responsibility. God's responsibility is to stand at the door. God's responsibility is knock on the door. But it's man's responsibility to open the door every day. Listen. Open continually every day. Keep opening the door with intensity. Receiving what needs to be changed and reversed in our lives. And open that door with excitement, not doom and gloom. 
Not, oh my God, what is God going to ask me? What is God going to show me? But open that door with enthusiasm to hear his exclamations. I want to stop here for a moment. And I want to talk about blind spots for just a few moments. And I want to quote from a book that's called The Importance of Being Foolish by Brennan Manning. I want to read to you, and the reason I'm reading a few of these words is because it refers to our blind spots. And we all have them. And that's why we need each other to speak into each other's spirit to identify those blind spots so we're not waylaid by the enemy and seduced and deluded and deceived. He says this, The painful question we face in the church today is whether the love of God can be purchased so cheaply. The first step in the pursuit of truth is not the moral resolution to avoid the habit of petty lying. However unattractive a character disfigurement that may be, it's not the decision to stop deceiving ourselves. It's the decision to stop deceiving ourselves. Excuse me. It's not the decision to stop deceiving others. It's the decision to stop deceiving ourselves. Unless we have the same relentless passion for the truth that Jesus exhibited in the temple when he threw out the money changes, we are undermining our faith, betraying the Lord, and deceiving ourselves. Self-deception is the enemy of wholeness because it prevents us from seeing ourselves as we really are. It covers up our lack of growth in the spirit of the truthful one and keeps us from coming to terms with our real personalities. Amen. End of quote. Let me read one more quote to you that exemplifies what he's saying. And I quote, Often our preoccupation with the three most basic human desires, security, pleasure, and power, is the cloak that covers transparency. The endless struggle for enough money, good feelings, Prestige yields a rich harvest of worry, frustration, suspicion, anger, jealousy, anxiety, fear, and resentment. These powerful emotion-backed desires cause 99% of the self-inflicted and unnecessary suffering in our lives. They continually focus our attention on self and keep us from being transparent, dimming the light and obscuring the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. John the Evangelist speaks of the sinner as being in a state of darkness. He walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. 1 John 2, 11. It's the ego-dominated self that keeps us locked in a series of competitive moves and counter-moves that induces us to manipulate people and control situations that for most of us destroys inner peace and serenity in our lives. Trapped in the quest for security, pleasure, and power, our moment-to-moment thoughts are concentrated on the dark pursuit of illusionary happiness, and we are thus inattentive to the Lord of light. Our eyes are not fixed on Christ, but on ourselves. End of quote. Those are what I call blind spots in our life that sometimes we're not aware of unless we have the courage to walk into the Holy of Holies and say, God, 
allow me to become transparent before you. Listen, I can fool you, and you can fool me, and we can all wear masks, but you know what? The God that knew me when I was conceived in my mother's womb was the God that formed me, and it's the God that knows me right now at this present moment as I'm speaking to you. Amen. Come on. We think we can fool him. We think we can cover up. But the church will never become that great institution, that remnant church that God has desired and he's called us to. You see, my friend, when you step beyond the veil and you go into the Holy of Holies, expect God to show you things that you've never seen before or, or have accepted as truth but are really false, blind spots. Expect God to show you things that separate you from him. The church doesn't want that today. The church wants to feel good. The church wants a 10-minute sermonette that I'm okay and you're okay. The church doesn't want to step on anyone's toes. The, step, the church wants everyone to go home happy, not holy. The church is compromised. But there's a church within the church that God is calling forth that desires not to compromise. In order for there to be an entrance into the Holy of Holies, where, which is the divine presence of God, there must be a tearing apart. Go back to Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51. What is it saying? And the veil of the temple was rent in two. It was torn apart. In order for us to have this divine presence of God and go into the Holy of Holies, we have to submit to the tearing of the veil in our own hearts that we have constructed that produces blind spots in our lives that prevents God from penetrating deep down into our soul and our spirit to speak to the inner man and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Yes. We continue to fabricate. We continue to build our own veils. We continue to construct our own excuses. We continue to say, well, that's the way I am. Accept me as I am. No. Accept me for what I can become in Christ. Amen. A new creation. Come on. Get rid of the rot. Come on. Get rid of the deception. Get rid of the lying to myself. The self-delusion. Mm -hmm. We walk around with that. True salvation is exposure. And it's hard to be exposed before God. Come on. There must be a tearing away, a separation from those things that prevent divine fellowship divine relationship and divine friendship. And all of us in this room this morning must ask ourselves the question, what do I need to separate from Amen. that prevents me from having that access that is so sweet, that fellowship that is so profound, that relationship that's so real that nothing will hinder it. Because I've stopped lying to myself and I've stopped blaming other people for the cause that I'm going through right now. 
the controversy that I have with God? What controversy do you have with God? Come on. His body tore on the cross. His body was mangled beyond recognition. His flesh was beaten off of his back that he was exposed. A crown of thorns was stuck into his head. They plucked out his beard. Soldiers spit into his face. He was humiliated in front of his own family. And crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem like a dog. And we come to God and say, you know what, God? I got issues with you. We need to talk. Come on. I gave you my list last week, and you know what? You left out the potatoes and the ice cream. Come on. And God says, what are you offering me? Amen. What have you been giving me? Come on. Let me look up in the book to see how many times you've been to the Holy of Holies in the last three months of your life. Let me see how many times that you've come down in the dust on your legs and on your knees and cried out to God and the tears stained the altar of the church. Come on, son. How long have you been away from me? Come on, please. How long have you played the game? We have to ask ourselves these questions. And these are hard questions. Because we will face God one day face to face. Come on. We will see him as he is. Resurrected. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and there'll be no Willy Bobo in. Come on. You're not going to be able to turn around and say it was her fault or the pastor's fault or the someone else's fault. You're going to look into the eyes of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's going to ask us, Have you been to the Holy of Holies? You see, it doesn't end with the tearing. Something else happened that day. If you look at Matthew, if you look at the word of God again in Matthew 27, I'm going to keep referring to it for a few moments. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake. Earthquake. Do you hear about that? 500 people plus roaming the streets of Jerusalem that woke up from the grave. The temple veil split in two. And what happened that day, Pastor? The Bible says the earthquake. What's an earthquake? It's a sudden movement of the earth's crust by the release of stress, which is really pent-up air or confined air, accumulated along geological faults or by volcanic activity. An earthquake is the shaking of the earth. When that word quake was mentioned and written by the writer, the word quake in Greek means to rock or to vibrate sideways to and fro. It means to agitate in any direction. It means to throw into a tremor of fear and concern. You know what an earthquake does? It exposes. Listen, follow. You see, this is beyond tearing. This is beyond separating. Like it did in the veil in the temple. Earthquakes cause destruction. Earthquakes cause upheavals of people, places, and things. Those things that are hard to move that stop us and prevent us from union with God. God wants to produce an earthquake in our life. You know why? Because we'd hate to admit that sometimes we're stubborn. We hate to admit sometimes that we have a whole lot of pride. 
We hate to admit that sometimes that we are selfish human beings. And we hate to admit that sometimes we rely upon our power and control to be self-sufficient where we exclude him because, hey, listen, I'm strong, I'm smart, I can survive. Oh, God says, do you think? He says, when I produce the earthquake in your life, you're going to be thinking different. Because that's what God's doing in the church. If you look throughout the world, there's earthquakes every day physically. Go Google earthquakes on your internet, on your computer. There's earthquakes in America, trust me, every day. They're not reported. It would alarm too many people. There's earthquakes in the world every day, physically. And I always teach you, the physical and the spiritual, and the, and the, and the uh, spiritual run parallel. And when I see earthquakes physically in the earth every day, I'm saying, God, what earthquake are you requiring today in my life? What are you trying to upheave in my life? What's the upheaval that you want to expose in my life that needs to get rid of? What does God say? Listen to what he says. He's saying this. The Spirit of God wants to release accumulated or pent up air in our lives, which we refer to as blowing off steam or anger. That's what God's saying to me. Some people are walking around like time bombs. Just a feather on their head is going to ignite them. Let me read that to you again. The Spirit of God wants to release accumulated or pent up air in our lives, which we refer to as blowing off steam or anger. God desires to shake everything out of us that's contrary to His Word. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. That's New Testament. That's the book of Hebrews. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. What's he saying? He's going to shake us down. He's going to shake everything out of us that's contrary to the word of God. He's going to shake everything out that does not belong in the holy of holies. He's going to shake everything out that does not belong in the presence of God. He's going to shake out everything that is not supposed to be in the house of the Lord. He's going to shake our families, shake our banks, shake our culture, shake our economy, shake the world governments. And he's going to shake the church governments throughout the world. Every denomination is going to be shaken and exposed (laughs) because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You see there's something beyond the tearing and that's the earthquake and the earthquake exposes these things. Follow One more revelation. Let me read Jeremiah 4.3. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. In the message version it says this. Here's another message from God to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Plow your unplowed fields, but then don't plant weeds in the soil. (laughs) Fallow ground. (laughs) Get the plow out. That's what people are going to do here in the spring in a few weeks. They're going to plow those fields. You see the physical, the plowing? It's going to take place in the spiritual. For those of us that are willing to open that door when he knocks, to hear his voice, and like the child Samuel, 12 years old, Lord, speak on. Here I am to hear your voice. It's going to take courage, my friend. It's going to take boldness. It's going to take intensity. 
and enthusiasm and excitement to hear what God has to say. But he's going to shake some stuff out of us first. What does it say in Hosea 10 verse 12? Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rain righteousness upon you. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 in the message version says this. Sow righteousness and reap love. It's time to to till the ready earth. It's time to dig in with God until he arrives with righteousness ripe for the harvest. The tearing of the veil, the separation, then the quake, which exposes those things that God wants to rid from our life. But one last observation. Go back to Matthew 27, verse 51. Let's look at it again. It says this. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That's the tearing and the separation. And the earth did quake. That's the exposure of those things in our life that God is trying to rid us from. And look what the last part says. And the rocks rent. Wait, what does that mean? You see, the earthquake exposed the boulders. The earthquake exposed what was underground and brought it to the surface. Stubbornness, pride, anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. The Bible says that the rocks were rent, split, Divided. What is God saying in this verse? God is saying the earthquake can expose those things in your life that's contrary to my word. But are you willing to allow me to split them so they no longer have power over your life? You see, we can go around and say, God showed me I'm stubborn, but it's still there. That's right. God showed me that I have anger issues, but it's still there. God showed me that I have some bitter feelings, but it's still there. So God says, hey, I want to tear that. I want to separate you. And now I produce the earthquake in your life to at least expose that. Now do I have permission to rock your world and split those things like the atom in your life? You see, the rock's rent means to divide by rending, to split or to sever, to tear asunder, to divide from something or someone that's hard to get away from. It's separation from people, places, and things that are not good for us. Relationships, friends, dead ends. Earthquakes expose the rocks, but this phase breaks them. Look at the progression. Look at the spiritual progression of this one verse. We get the tearing and the separation of the veil. We get the earthquake that exposes. And then we get the rocks that are red. But God wants to split those things that are contrary to him and his presence. It's okay to, to go around saying, Hey, God showed me that I have this particular issue. Okay? But if you stop there, you still have that particular issue. You see, the earthquake will unearth that and show you that and expose that to you, if you're honest. But will you be willing to allow God to split that thing in half and into different factions and into minute powder so it has no longer an effect on your life to disturb you and seduce you and deceive you? You see, that's spiritual growth and maturity and that's spiritual progression. Jesus said this in Matthew 10 and verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth, 
I came not to send peace, but a sword. We don't like to hear that. God's coming for a church. And trust me, He's going to have one. Amen. He will have a church. It's called the Remnant Church. There was only eight people that went into the boat in Noah's day that he built that boat for 120 years. A lot more people could have got into that boat. It's the equivalent to our ocean liners today. They use the measurements of that boat to build big ocean liners today because God knew what he was doing about building boats. He was a fisherman. He was a carpenter. He was a master builder. The measurements that we use today are the same measurements that Noah used for the boat. If we allow the veil to be torn down in our hearts, if we allow the earthquake to erupt and the rocks split, then something spectacular happens. This is the great part. Look what it says. Matthew 27, verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many, many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves, listen to this now, after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Look at the progression. One more time. The tearing of the veil, separation. The quake exposes. The rocks are rent. Destroys. And then the resurrection. Amen. Listen, what's the resurrection? What does it mean? It's revival. It's renaissance. Amen. It's rebirth restoration. It's a resurgence. It's a renewal. It's a revitalization. Mm-hmm. You know what the resurrection is? The title of my sermon, A New Day. Amen. A new day. A new day. You see, we're going to go through a spiritual operation here for a season. And some of you and us have been going through that spiritual operation for quite a time. And God has been exposing. And God has been tearing. And God has been splitting. And yes, it's painful. And yes, it's tearful. And yes, it's just, you just want to run away sometimes and say, it's too much. Come on. No more reading. No more books. No more revelation. Come on, God. I'm looking for happy days are here again. I'm looking for happy days are here again. God says, if you hold on, if you let me tear you apart, if you let the earthquake come, if you let me split your rocks, let me tell you something. You're going to have a resurrection. Not only when you get to heaven, hallelujah, but the church is going to experience a resurgence and a power and an anointing, hallelujah, because the fresh oil will fall from heaven and we will be anointed with the fresh oil from God as kings and priests yeah. unto the Lord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and I have a greater understanding of this following peace. And the power of his resurrection. You see, it's the power of his resurrection that tears, that produces the earthquake and splits the rocks. Listen to what it says, that I may know him. You can't know him unless you would submit to the spiritual surgery that God wants to produce in your life. And yes, it hurts. 
Because you're caught. It's a circumcision of the heart. But what does it say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And when we, re we realize that resurrection power, we will be able to face the fellowship of his sufferings that will come to us, even as Christians. But we'll look at them in a different light because Paul is saying it's okay. Because I have the resurrected power of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God in my life. Listen to what he says in Galatians 2.20 as I close. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. This is a new day. Amen. Yes. This is revival. This is a resurgence of the church. Come on. This is restoration. Hallelujah. This is God saying, you think I'm sleeping? You think I went on vacation? I'm calling people out Amen. to be their father, yeah. that they might be my sons and my daughters. Amen. And I've called out my church to stand upon the earth as an army of God that will destroy the powers of evil and do miracles on the doorstep of the devil. This is my church that I will build upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Amen. We must go forth this day realizing it's his resurrected life and power working in us. To destroy the works of the devil. 2 Corinthians 4.7 But we have this treasure. What treasure? The resurrected power of God in earthen vessels that the excellency of power may be of God and not of us. Amen. Ephesians 3.20 One of my favorite verses as I close. Now unto him. Who? Jesus. The resurrected son of God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what? According to the power that worketh in us. What is that power? It's the resurrected power of Christ, hallelujah, that he purchased for us on the day of crucifixion that we can go into the holy of holies and say, God, hallelujah, I need a fill up. God, I've come, hallelujah, to get something in my tank. God, I've come to church today to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit so I can go out in the power. Go on, preach. Amen. It's not how you start. It's how you end. I said it's not how you start. It's how you end. And I don't want to end at some decrepit old car on the side of the road that doesn't start, that has no tires, and it's a rust bucket. No. I want to go out like Paul with excitement and enthusiasm. Even though he was knowing to go to his death, he already told the church, there's hope beyond the grave, so don't even worry about it. <laughs> he said, there's hope beyond the grave, so don't even worry about it. Don't even mourn for me. Because I know where I'm going. But until I get there, I'll let him tear me up I'll let the earthquake come and I'll let them split the rocks because this is what I know. The day later after that is the resurrection. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on the brink of that resurrection. Amen.
I said we're on the brink of that resurrection. That holy day will come. But until it comes, we must submit ourselves, praise God, to the spiritual operation of the Holy Spirit so God can clean up the church in America, so that God can clean up the pulpits in America, so that God can clean up the, the, the pews in America and call out a people that want to go into that holy of holies and say, God, like the child Samuel, 12 years old, Lord, here I am. Speak, thy servant listens. God bless you and thank you for listening.